source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. James here, joined as always by Alex and Ryan, following Everton's 3-2 victory away at Hull City in the third round of the FA Cup. Prior to the match, worth noting that Hull are winless in 18 FA Cup matches against top-flight opponents. Last victory against a top-flight opponent in the FA Cup came in 1973. Additionally, Everton had lost their last three away FA Cup matches Of course, two of those were infamously against the team across the park. However, Everton have never lost four in a row on the road in the FA Cup since joining the Football League and were able to keep that streak alive. Today slash yesterday, we are recording on Sunday following the match Saturday. A game that has been described by some in the media as thrilling. We'll go to instant match reactions and Alex first to see if he agrees with that characterization. I don't know about thrilling. I think a win is a win, but it didn't feel like it. If that tells you anything, um, I think Everton were very uh, were very disorganized. I didn't think it was cohesive enough at all, especially against a team that sits, I think, nineteenth in the championship or so. Um, overall, it's good to move on to the next round. Um, but either way, uh, I would say that it, it it more negatives than positives. What about you, Ryan? It was a hot mess. <laughs> Let's be honest. Thrilling, eh, not really the word I would use, but we did win. Uh, I guess that's good. We'll talk about how important that is later. We did have a couple score predictions, which I'm just amazed by. Um, yeah, uh, some of the other pretty good ones too. A surprise Penny didn't get his right, didn't he? Say we're going to lose yeah. like one to seven or something. I miss those yeah. outrageous predictions he has. So I was happy <laughs> to see them making a comeback. As much uh, fun as the Discord is, it, it does have a bit of an air of. Uh, despondency at the moment that said we did have a couple correct score predictions uh s con predicted 3-2 everton fm warrior 19 predicted 3-2 to the blues also added the caveat fans start to have hope in rafa after one win over a close to relegation championship side we then proceed to get thumped by leicester in midweek then the misery continues that will of course not happen as of a couple hours ago the match against leicester has been postponed now, before we get into tactics, just a quick reminder to please, if you enjoy the show, leave us a review or a rating on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to find us on social media, you can find us at USA Toffee Pod, or you can find all of our links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And with that, Ryan, let's talk about Hull's lineup. As Alex said, sitting 19th in the championship. And so probably not super optimistic going into this tie, but they came out to play. They're not the best team uh, to Alex's point. Um, Yes, they're tied for 19th uh, or maybe they're flat out 19th. All I know is they're tied for second to last in goals scored in the championship. They're 17th in possession. Um, They're probably, you would think going into this, if there was ever a game that we really want to just kind of control the ball, I know it's not really Rafa's care to do that. This would be the one to do it. Shouldn't have a lot of fear that they're going to score a lot. So I think we could be aggressive with them, but um, they've been playing with three at the back. Normally, Smallwood kind of sits as a defensive mid behind Honeyman and Doherty. Honeyman is their danger man. If you remember, he's from Sunderland till I die fame. Um, He's not a bad player. They have some wide guys that are okay too. Keen Lewis Potter has has five goals and three assists and Ryan Longman, but Longman's on the bench. Malik Wilkes is a pretty good player. He's not playing. He's a good attacker. Um, Magenis, I guess is a center forward as well. I don't know too much about him, but he's out. So they've got a couple guys out. They don't have a very dangerous attack. You know, you think you might want to see us get on the front foot a little bit. Um, it didn't look like when the lineup came out though, that that was really going to be the case. No, it did not at all. So surprise, surprise Everton with a back five in the FA cup against relegation fodder in the championship whole city. Um, However, you mean wingbacks? <clears throat> wingbacks sounds a lot more. <laughs> wingbacks sounds better, Alex. What are you talking about? Back five. Come on. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Now, I will say a positive with the lineup. I think everyone was excited to see uh, Mikalinko starting at left wing left wing back for Everton. I'd say that's much better than Seamus Coleman out on that side. And interestingly enough, as we expected last time out, Seamus Coleman started at the th- at the right center back of the back three 
which is definitely more his style, as we saw under Carlo plenty of times. Um, we had a midfield two of Gomez and Alon, which was interesting. Ducore started on the bench. Um, probably plenty to say about those two themselves and, again, their their shape or lack of. And then the front three of Gray, Rondon, and Gordon. Um, not much else you can expect there with the injuries. You know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was not going to be risked this match. Richarlison is still out. Awobi is at AFCON, although I don't know he's a he's a factor even if he was here. Still the same lack of a midfield three uh, that is discouraging to go to the back five instead of addressing the obvious midfield situation and trying to take the game to Hull. It seemed like we perhaps wanted to be a little bit more passive. But Ryan, take us through some of the, the tactical uh, ins and outs of what we saw at least early on in the match. Well, first, to your point, Alex, it was too passive. You know, I just think it's it's hard for me to sit there and think about the big beef between Dean and Rafa. I mean, I thought the whole point was that Luca Dean has been stewing because he's been asked to defend on an island. You know, while Keane is afraid to push up, Alon runs around like a maniac, Gray's in a free roll, he kind of gets stuck, you know, and, and not able to get up in the attack. So what do we do today? We replace him with a more defensive-oriented left back, only to then play him at left wing back. What on earth? How on earth does that make any sense? I mean, imagine Luca Dean playing in that role today or yesterday. It would have been... Much different, but oh well. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I think in particular, Everton really struggled staying vertically compact. Um, I know we have troubles with shape, but that's what I saw. I mean, Gomes and Allen were stretched out, not just horizontally, but vertically. Um, Mikalenko, again, he's, he's a hesitant, you know, he's, he's a cautious player. He's not overly aggressive. Measured, I think it's a good thing. He's a smart guy. He's not going to go flying up and down the wings. So he was almost playing as a left back. You know, there were times he tracked guys all the way back. Um, Ronan was very isolated, I thought. I think it's tough for him. You're asking him to do a lot of things. You've basically got Gordon and, and Gray in free rolls, almost double, running around. Gordon defending a little bit more, and Ronan trying to find them on hoofballs. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, it was basically those two, you know, letting them run higher in attack as Andre and Alon tried to get him the ball and usually lost shape in doing so. It, it was just kind of a kind of a mess i thought and and i thought we struggled with what they were trying to do i mean i i don't know they just kept attacking kind of through the the, the half spaces and eves was a problem for us all night yeah i mean and correct me if i'm wrong and it seemed very inconsistent with the timing but it seemed like the plan was someone like michael Keane was supposed to be stepping into midfield to kind of create that third man playing out the back we saw it numerous times but you kind of wonder if that should be more of a staple in the game plan. And we know that Michael Keane does have a good passing range, although he's not the quickest to, you know, be a sitting DM per se. Yeah, but but you're right, Alex. I mean, he is a little bit dangerous from a distributional standpoint stepping up, you know. Uh, I think, frankly, that loses some of his effectiveness in terms of aerial issues. And I think they saw that and went after Coleman specifically with Eves. Um, one would argue if you're going to play Seamus Coleman, he could maybe, I mean, you don't maybe don't want him in the middle, so I, I don't think the side was wrong. But maybe Ben Godfrey is your guy that can run forward with the ball. I mean, he used to be a defensive mid or a central mid, so I think that's a better fit for him. But you're right, I can't argue. Michael Keane running forward with the ball and stepping in that hole can do some damage distribution-wise. But yeah, none of those guys really strike me as the guy to kind of step up and, and play that role. I think it's just better off. I mean, he really should just play a back four and play a sitter. Uh, he had one on the bench that he finally introduced. We'll get into that in a second. I think Bameen is a very good profile for the type of playing uh, that you're suggesting. But, you know, either way, though, they, they didn't. I mean, they, they had guys stacked down the middle, but you see they attacked kind of a lot down the wing, especially the right side. They were just going right at Mikalenko and bypassed him a lot. Godfrey, they were using the wide and the half space to get in deep, firing crosses. It was interesting. I mean, they definitely had some success. But, you know, you look seeing and how we attacked as well as them. We were a little more balanced, I think, and maybe that was a, a byproduct of the match being kind of so wide open. But Hall definitely, I mean, 42% down the right side. That's a big number, is it not, James? Yeah, and it was clear that, especially from the kickoff, we'll get into the timeline momentarily, that they did want to test out, kick the tires on Mikalenko a little bit and see what the kid was capable of in his first start in England. Um, and they ha obviously had some success with it. Certainly in the first half, Mikalenko looked a little bit lost. Again, you're asking a guy who's traditionally played a defensive role to play a, a wing back role and maybe get up and down a little bit, which Ryan has very eloquently described as not making 
sense I mean, he, he can do but... it a little. He's just not going to sure, be. No, it... He's not going to fly up and down and do it. Patterson's right. the total opposite, by the way. Right. That's so. And, and again, no, no Patterson either. So you had um, John Joe Kenny filling in on the opposite side as the right wing back. But let's let's move on to the timeline now because things got off to a, I'd say the worst possible start imaginable. With uh, twenty seconds in, Mikalenko giving away a free kick around the area. I was barely like getting situated, ready to watch the match. All of a sudden, we give away a set piece. Hull score, ridiculous defending, easy as can be, and Everton make things incredibly difficult for themselves. The converse side of that is. Could say that Hull scored a little too early, gave us a little bit too much time to get back in it. I mean, in all honesty, 20 seconds is not an exaggeration either. I mean, they almost couldn't have scored more quickly Faster. Right. If, unless they just hit it off the kick. I mean, it was I, it, that's just I don't I was just so beside myself. It was just comedy at that point. It's a bad play. I mean, it's a bad foul. Um, ironic. It's the same thing that people accuse Dean of doing, which he does do. He does hatch at people every now and then. And. Look, you know, Mikalinko's getting his feet wet. I, I think Keane keeps everyone on off the set piece, too. What is what is going on with the set piece construction? You, you, when you watch it, he's immediately behind everyone on the line. His timing is awful. Keeps everyone on side, and, and Mikalinko just kind of whiffs on it. He's not great in the air. I know people have talked about him maybe playing center back some. I don't think that's reasonable, even though he he kind of seems like one. He's not, at least in the air, it's not very reasonable. This is a bad combination of tactics and individual player, right? Let's not let's not like mince words here. That was like a really, really bad start for Mikalenko for conceding the foul and then also arguably should have won the header. I think it's also fair to say, though, if you watch it back, um, Rondon should have been tracking Eves a lot better. And he was about a step, step and a half behind when the ball came in and essentially not, not you know, there's no challenge for it whatsoever. Um, so I think he was another culprit as well, which is frustrating, especially when, you know, you've got a, a shorter back line um, you know, you're missing a lot of good aerial presence. And then someone like Rondon, who you would hope is there to shore up something such as that ball and, and doesn't even make a challenge for it. it's not in the position to do so is frustrating. As we'll, well get to the corner in a second. He, he was actually more in a free kind of zonal role on corners too, which is kind of interesting. I thought and he probably is the best at attacking and winning headers. Um, yeah, that's, you know, just, it's just a shame, you know, literally that quickly. And then we have this very strange, and, and we're down one nil, but I, I'm not concerned that we're not going to catch up, but boy, that's just a kick in the teeth. I feel like that's happened quite a bit recently. It's hard to play from behind. Um, but the good thing is normally we seem to play better when we have a sense of urgency. So, I mean, it was funny too. And then in the second minute, our first possession, they get a foul and Mikalenko takes, takes the free kick. And I'm just beside myself because I'm sitting there thinking, didn't you just take the Dean off? of set pieces and Mikalinko can serve a ball. Okay. Not, not any better than that. You would never have him on set pieces, but I guess we just lack a lefty. I'm just sitting there shaking my head. Like you're playing wingbacks now and you're letting him take free kicks. Like, are, are you not, I can't imagine he's doing it on purpose, but if he was, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Like he should write a novel. Yeah. Uh, it's you got to take your hat off. If that's the case, because it's an artful troll to Luca Dean, if if that's the case now, I'm not saying it is, but very, very bizarre. And it continued right in the fourth minute, Hull almost go up two nil. And we just look completely lost, completely disorganized, a lot like the Brighton match where, well, in this case, Eves rises over Coleman again, proving himself to be very adept in the air and Hull having the, the right game plan, knowing how to exploit our weaknesses. Seamus, a little bit out of position, not the strongest in the air. Eves, a big dude. And it almost gets really ugly. And then in the sixth minute, we get our first corner of the match. Damari Gray takes it, steps up. Terrible, terrible corner. What happened to our set pieces? Not only are we terrible at defending them, we can't take them now. We don't have a guy who can kick them. What could possibly be missing? Hey, uh, guys, quick question. Um, did we score any goal? Like, I know we can't defend set pieces. I think we've established that. Um did we score on any set pieces last year? I know in the Premier League, I recall scoring a couple. And have we scored a lot this year? I don't remember too many. No, I mean, it must be said, Ryan. It must be said. Boy, do I have some stats for you about, about set pieces. Last season, and we did have David Ancelotti. And, and, and I will say, and I think the fan base knows that um, he did quite a good job specifically on set pieces for the team. But we went from the best in the Premier League, scoring 10 goals off set pieces last season, to now the worst with only one goal about halfway through the season. Hmm. 
That's interesting. You know, I, I have another stat for you that I was looking at. And, you know, I heard that Dean's uh, set pieces were awful and he, he was, should have been taken off corners in week four when he was. Um, but ironically, Luca Dean still has the most shot created actions from dead balls on the team this year still. Still. And he's been off of them since week four and hasn't even been playing. So that's egregious. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I don't want to wow. keep piling on Rafa. Maybe I do at this point because it's just yes, so disgusting. Do. <laughs> I did. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, this is ridiculous anyway. But look, moving on first 20 minutes, we looked incredibly disorganized and that's been consistent too. Like, it's unbelievable. We look like we're not ready to play. Uh, we don't either that, or we don't know what we're expecting, which is unbelievable because we're the easiest team to play in the world against any one of us could script out a game plan against us. And so first 20 minutes, I mean, five nil in shots, right? Hull was totally taken to us. Like you guys said, we had no control over the game. We were playing hoofball, but, but I feel like around that time we started to settle in started to possess the ball a little bit and started to look dangerous. Yeah, look, I mean, the first 20 minutes, I, I tweeted out, like, we didn't even look like we deserved to be playing in the first round of the FA Cup, much less, you know, coming in in the third round. It was that painful. But things turned on a dime relatively quickly, as Ryan said, right around the 25th. We, of course, score in the 21st minute. Damari Gray, a really, really nice little exchange with Anthony Gordon, who up until that point were pretty much the only two who were providing any sort of offensive impetus whatsoever um, but from the 25th minute to half we definitely settled in realized that we were the ones who are the Premier League team and these guys we should be seeing off with relative ease 59% possession from the 25th to halftime certainly grew into the game despite the and again you know you're going away in a cup tie Hull City have the the crowd at their back and you're trying out a system that you're maybe not all that familiar with so you could say that devil's advocate maybe we should there's an excuse for being that unorganized, but at the same time, yeah, as a manager, you have to have the team set up to know their role and to be better disciplined. Yeah, and I mean, what a goal that was by Gray, by the way. He it essentially was. passes it into the net. Um, and Gordon with, you know, and honestly, actually, not even to take away from the build-up play either. That was a fantastic touch off his heel to kind of bring it forward initially as well. So that was a really well-crafted goal. But then again, like, as you said, Gordon and Gray, it was essentially the Gordon and Gray show. And in the 23rd minute, Gordon was isolated, and you're hoping that he's going to sneak it right inside uh, the post, but unfortunately hits the woodwork. Um, you know, we've said before he's had a lack of quality, a lack of end product in this Everton team. Um, obviously not not as of last week against Brighton, but it is coming around, though, and that's exciting to see. It is. Gray was almost trying to do too much at times, I think, and we'll talk about him a little bit. He got subbed a, a very – I can't believe he played as many minutes as he did – but you could tell Hull had no real answer for him. When he got it, he was just playing with guys. He turned the ball over a lot. I think he had something like 11 turnovers. But, he's, I mean, it's a long game. He played many minutes. He was dangerous, though. Um, yeah, he hits the Woodburk. And then there was this bizarro play. And I don't want to beat this into the ground. But in the 26th minute, cross from Mikalenko. Gordon hits it right off the defender's hand. I mean, the hand is away from the body. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, he's pretty close to Gordon. And you got to take that into account. But. Hand away from the body. I mean, this is normally a handball. The announcer immediately said, got to be handball. We have a quote from John Marrow here that I really like. And then I want to hear your guys' opinion on what do you think? Is that a handball or not? And then you know, we can complain about VAR. I'd prefer not to beat it in the ground, but it is what it is. Yeah, John Marrow says, uh, Kevin Friend was five yards away and failed to give two of the most blatant handball pens you'll ever see in your life. These refs are so bad. We do need VAR. But please, can we turn the audio on? to stop their corruption. So, I mean, that's, that's some heavy-handed stuff from John there, but it is the inconsistency with VAR across the FA Cup competition makes no sense. Either have it or you don't for all or none. And if you can't have it for some, then you shouldn't have it for any. But I think the preferable situation would be to figure out a way to put it in as many stadiums as you possibly can to avoid situations like this. Stonewall pen, obvious. I didn't see where Kevin Friend was when it happened, but someone has to call that out because... The arms extended at almost like a perpendicular angle to his body. It hits him. I don't know how that's missed. I don't know how it's not called. That said, you know, you shouldn't use it as an excuse for why we struggled as much as we did. We don't shouldn't need the refs to bail us out with calls. You know, that's how I feel. Too. Yeah, no, exactly. To be clear, like we should not be, you know, we should not be worried about a handball call against Hull um, in the first half. I think I think the I, I just think the biggest heart. Heart, um, heartache about the whole entire situation is the fact that, you know, from an expected points perspective, Everton have been seriously shafted by VAR this season. 
to be fair, in the Premier League specifically. So I think sometimes it's just nice. You know, we we are on a terrible run of form. It would be nice to be able to um, get a little bit of luck our way, maybe a little poetic justice. But um, nonetheless, again, as we said, there's no reason why it should take a penalty call in the first place. But it's, I mean, look, we showed a little bit of character here and we, we kept on keeping on, you know, some people can get really wrapped up in that. I think that was good. And, you know, sure enough, we, we score in the 31st in, I mean, one of the more, we've had some really surprising goals in cup competitions this year. Uh, this one has got to be the most surprising of them all. Andre Gomes, Mr. Final Third. Uh, this is a pretty interesting play. John Joe, John Joe Kenny can serve a ball. There's no question about it. And he probably is a wing back. That's probably his best role. Um, pretty good movement by Rondon to kind of bring people with him. And, and Andre comes in full tilt and buries it. He, he almost tried not to score, which would have been hard. I mean, it was literally one of the easiest headers you could ever have. And he deserves credit for the run. He had it right at the keeper. Maybe the keeper can do better. But I mean, it is a point blank header. Great cross by John Joe Kenny. And bang, we're up 2-1. And you think we're off, right? You think. Okay, we got it out of our system. We've got it. Um, but I feel like we still didn't. Well, first of all, I mean, amazing for Andre. I'm happy for him. Um, but, God, you were expecting right after this for us to just to kick off and keep the ball and just dominate these guys. I mean, Alon and Andre are a mismatch in the middle. That's an insane pairing, in my opinion. But if you figure you're going to be on the ball all the time, those guys are very good possession players. You'd think you'd at least get some of that. It didn't quite happen that way, did it? No, but uh, just quickly on the goal, I mean, you get John Joe Kenny with the cross. Two assists now in as many games for the local lad. Good to see. But yeah, I mean, from the 31st minute after the goal to halftime, we still retained a good amount of the possession similar to, I think it ended up being around 57 from that point on, but four to four in shots. So although we're sort of, you know, controlling the game in some respects, we're really still giving away a fair amount of chances. And it felt a little bit, like we were maybe taking our foot off the gas, which I can't really think of much of an excuse for. You finally take the lead. You're surging. You should really go for the throat, especially as we've said a dozen times already, and we'll continue to say against freaking Hull City. You go for the throat. You don't settle for a 2-1 win. You go for the blowout if you can possibly manage it. Especially with the setup, you've got the wingbacks there. You know what I mean? I mean, you can rush them forward. Um, one's maybe a little hesitant than the other, but take advantage of that. You know, control the ball, run those guys forward. Mikalinko was making some runs off the ball. I, I don't want to be too harsh on him or not, but you know, we, yeah, I, I feel like we did or just, and we weren't making good decisions with the ball either. Felt like we we're still playing hoof ball times where we didn't need to, but either way, I mean, look, we roll into halftime. We're up two one. You figure that we should at least coast. These guys don't look dangerous. Like I said, they hadn't scored any goals this year at all. Bunch of attackers are off. Um, but I feel like even the second half was. You know, not particularly eventful. It was still wide open, kind of up and down. Not too many quality chances. And it was a very interesting move. Hull made three subs in the 63rd minute. Very attacking. You know, they took Smallwood off, kind of their defensive mid. Uh, Longman came on. He's kind of one of their other wider creator player, creative players. He's pretty skilled. Um, Huddlestone came in. Can we talk about Tom Huddlestone for a second? Like, seriously. I mean, could you just? they should have just had someone dribble behind him like kind of in a Mighty Ducks flying V style and just knock people over. I mean, seriously, when they subbed him in, I don't know if he was directly for Smallwood or not, but it looked like he probably increased the average weight of the whole team by five or 10 pounds, just on average. The guy had to be like a 50 pound increase over whoever he subbed in. I mean, he is massive. Absolute unit. Yeah. I was going to say, Ryan, did you like gasp when you saw him? Like, there's no way this guy could be. <laughs> I remember big. him. I remember him as a player. And I was like, I don't remember him being built like that. So I don't know if he's just been lifting the weights or spent too much time in the pub. I don't know. But man, he was big coming in there. Uh, I wasn't too concerned he was going to go by anyone. But yeah, this is a very attacking type sub. And, and they started. I mean, I, I didn't see any massive difference, but they did have a little better quality on the ball, I think. And we countered soon with a very strange sub of our own. I mean, I found this kind of a strange decision. Don't you guys, didn't you feel the same way? I was like, why? Yeah, I mean, we've we've criticized, I, mean, I know me specifically, you know, we've criticized Rafa's substitutes, whether that be timing or personnel, whether coming on or off. And uh, as you mentioned, right, Rafa waits once again to make, a change, and he takes off Gordon, of all people, in the 66th minute for none other than Andrews Townsend, who, you know, it came out, there were reports before the match that Andrews Townsend was just banging on Rafa's door, asking 
demanding almost even to be involved in the match, um, which I think, you know, match winner or not that we'll get into may or may not have been such a great decision, at least at that time in the match. Yeah. And at that point, Anthony Gordon had been, as we said already, one of our more dangerous looking players, even though it, it felt like he was involved regularly, he really didn't have the ball all that much. He only had 29 touches, which I think at the time he was subbed off was more than only Rondon. So I think Rondon had like 26 at that point. So he didn't get involved, but when he did, he looked like he was, you know, trying to make things happen, getting in dangerous areas, but just wasn't able to get involved. Is this a defensive sub in some respects from, from Rafa? What, what is it? I, I guess I'm confused about what he's exactly trying to accomplish. Now this is with the backdrop knowing in hindsight that Andros eventually would go on to score the winner. But at the time you have to think of it in the context. It was a little bit baffling. I think Greaves was struggling with him at times too. I, I look, I've been a little critical of Anthony when he started the season because he wasn't very productive, but he's, he's coming on, man. He's young. I mean, do we really think, was he tired in the 66th minute? A little confused. At this point, you got to know that you're not going to play on Tuesday. Pretty confident. I think they knew that at this point. Um, so that couldn't have been it. I can't, I can't help but, you know, if you hear Rafa afterwards talk about Townsend wanting to fight for the shirt and the whole narrative around that, which just makes me so angry because it's like you're really using that as your backhanded way to say Luca Dean is, you know what I mean? Like I just, that really did not sit well with me, but, but let's take a step back on Anthony Gordon. It is nice to see him starting to, to generate chances and make things happen. You know, the, the one to play with Gray was fantastic. He looks more comfortable now. He looks more confident. Needs to get his head up more. Him and Gray both do. I mean, Gordon's missing some people, but but it's coming. But look, it's very easy. to. We, we talked a little bit about should he have started the season on loan. And when I look at his Premier League numbers, like, look, of, of 80, there are 80 wide players. I played around Y Scout today. 80 wide players with over 500 minutes in the Premier League. Only five are younger than Gordon. So that's that's important, right? So. You could say he's not playing well in the Premier League, except for recently, and, and he shouldn't. I mean, he's young. Like, there aren't any other guys doing this. But look, he was dead last with goals until he had those two against Brighton, and one was the deflection. But he's still, right now, he's 72nd out of 80 in expected assists per 90. 78th in key passes per 90. So he's creating almost nothing in the Premier League compared to comparable wide players. And look, part of it is not his fault. I mean, he's getting under, he's getting 1.77 touches in the box. That's not a lot. He's 66 in forward passes, but 77th out of 80 in forward pass accuracy. That's his role, though. You know, we're not playing with the ball. We're not, you know what I mean? So, um, so when he gets it, he's not having as many opportunities as other people. But now that he's starting to produce, you want to yank him out? I actually think if he stays in as dominant as him and Gray were, unless he was totally gassed or hurt, I don't think this gets in extra time. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just felt like him and Gray were dangerous I felt like Gordon was growing into the match. If anything, I think their subs, if anything, left them a little bit open. I mean, they moved Lewis Potter kind of back over there. I feel like he switched at one point with with Williams on the other side. I, I just I think they were more wide open. Now, Huddleston might have grabbed him up and eaten him because he was playing left defense mid at that point. But in all seriousness, Smallwood left the game. They were more aggressive. I just like his him on the counter more than Townsend. Townsend does not have his pace. He's more of a controlling type of element. So I don't know. I think it's the wrong sub. I don't think. And why, why would you risk him playing? Either way, sure enough, soon afterwards, Hull finally counter back, taking advantage of space between and in front of our center, our center halves and the midfields. I know you guys will find that very surprising. Um, but sure enough, that's what's happened. But this is a pretty good finish, I must say. Yeah, so at that point in time, Kenny makes a tackle and the ball kind of rolls further forward towards Huddlestone, the absolute tank. And and this this part was a little bit troubling for me because Alan and Kenny both then Ugh. rush forward for the tackle. And and when I say like they're shoulder to shoulder, I'm saying like they have to be physically touching. And and to make matters worse, then maybe one yard to their right is also Andrews Townsend, who decides, okay, well, they're obviously gonna win the ball, so I'm gonna start sprinting. So he blows defensive cover that way. Needless to say, Huddleston breaks out of it by all two, three players. Essentially, the ball gets shifted over towards our left side of, you know, the top of the box. And it was a really, really nice curler from Longman. But again, it just feels like it could have been a, a stronger tackle. It feels like something could have been done. And, and it was unfortunate right after our substitute as well. Stop yeah, playing we did, Alon in the six. 
and playing in that defensive midfield role. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let him go hunt and kill and run around. That's what he wants to do. Isn't that in this yet another byproduct of that? Yeah, essentially just the recklessness and the lack of discipline. And and you let it's a great finish. One of those, you know, the second he hits it, it's like, okay, that's top bins. That's a really good hit. But it's it should never have come to this ever at this point. You should never give them the opportunity to get themselves back into the game. We should have put our foot down earlier. And then you let the individual mistakes and the defensive breakdowns really cost you. Um, and it's just incredibly frustrating in the 71st to then. Now we look, we've already taken off Anthony Gordon, one of our best attacking threats. We've got Andrews Townsend on now foreshadowing a little bit. Um, but then in the 74th, Rafa sees fit to make another change. Brings on Abdullah Decore for John Joe Kenny and switch to a back four, putting Mikolenko, I think, in a system that he's more comfortable with, with that flat back four and adding another body and Decore to the midfield. And I thought Decore, you know, he, he has enough energy in like the 90th minute, even when he's played the full 90, when he's coming on in the 74th with fresh legs, the guy can do some damage and he was really getting up and down. Mikolenko looked more comfortable in this format. Don't, don't you think? I mean, his numbers weren't that bad. Uh, on the evening, um, even if he got rinsed a couple times and looked pretty bad early, he seemed like he was settling in. He definitely looked more comfortable. I don't know what you guys thought about his performance. I, I don't think anyone should judge him too harshly on a first performance like this. I mean, that's kind of silly, but he did stay in the match and continued to play and grew into it. I, I thought, I mean, it, it's hard to say he played well. I, I, I don't think he did, but no one should. I mean, you don't. One th so I mentioned a couple of things on social media about the type of player he is, and we're talking about him. I think that's because we've watched him. You know, we, we've at least I spent a lot of times watching him in both Ukraine and the Champions League. And I think I have a decent idea what kind of player he is. So I hope people aren't mistaking me saying he shouldn't be on set pieces or he, or he can't play left wing back saying he's a bad player at all. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying he's more comfortable in in a, a flat four. Um, he's a little more cautious as a player. You know what I mean? And that's OK. And, and I think you saw that. After this, the production was okay, though, right? I mean, the, the numbers look all right. Yeah, I mean, so he definitely grew into the match. And I would like to say, you know, <clears throat> in terms of, in the, you know, in the first half specifically in the left wing back role, right? I saw numerous times, maybe two or three times where he did make the run and he was even with their right back. And the pass or the switch to him to try to get in behind was overhit. So he was also putting himself in the positions, just like John Joe Kenny was, um, at least to some degree. And I think our personnel but, should have been able to give him the ball there, right? That's kind of Andre's bread and butter yeah. and Keen can do it too. So um, I, I don't know, you know, maybe that was a lack of chemistry or issues, but maybe we just took the, took the foot off the gas. Kind of like James said, maybe, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I think in terms of, look, I don't think, I think everyone's willing to give this kid time. I don't think any, I didn't see, I saw one person say he looked bad and it's you know, got ratioed into oblivion for jumping to conclusions. Look, this kid's coming in. He's been at the club for, a week or so, a little over, um, probably speaks maybe two, three, four, a dozen words of English. Uh, and has a, this huge language barrier. He's going into an unfamiliar environment. He's certainly used to playing in the cold. You know what he can't but it's speak? Tough... You know what he can't say, though? Da. So I'll bet you he can say Everton <laughs> da. Don't you think? <laughs> Boo. Boo. We need the rim shot sound effect. <laughs> that was more like a da joke. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, I that, am a da. Literally. I am an Everton and... da. It's true. Yeah. But anyway, po point being, you know, it, it's I think it's unfair to like it's reasonable to say, OK, might have taken him 20, 30 minutes to acclimate. And I think from that point on, he looked much better. And especially, as we've said, switched to the back four. Ended up with two key passes, a one aerial one. So, you know, we know he's not great in the air. Four tackles, four interceptions, a blocked shot. And the second most touches in the team takes us ahead to the 88th minute. Rafa leaving it late taking Andre Gomez off to bring on the guy that we many may have forgotten or is even still on the team. Jean-Philippe Gabamin gets a go. Yeah. I, I This has me incensed. Uh, I don't understand Brian's it. Furious. Well, I said it in Florida. We, you were there. James and I, we were hanging out. I remember. And uh, I remember they played, finally played Decorio on and, and Bameen in Florida together. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Because I wanted to see this. Because I think that's a midfield that would be really tough to play through. Um, you have Alon and DeCorey running around, chasing the ball and being active and Bauman sitting like behind him, just smashing up play. You know, the guy is a physical beast. You know, he's big, strong, tough. And what does he do? He keeps Alon in the six and puts JPG as a straight swap for Andre to play like as an eight. 
I, I just this I wouldn't be so irritated about his continually misusing players like he'd never seen these players before. If he didn't come out at the beginning and talk about in glowing terms, his player audit and how he knows the team and knows how to fix them so much. I mean, that is just so ridiculous because no one on the earth would have ever won. He did play a little bit as a box box player at Mainz, only to accommodate Kunde to that was playing six, who by the way, I thought was totally overrated. It was a stupid play by them. And sure enough, they eventually got rid of him for much less than what they thought. But th- this is, a misunderstanding, in my opinion, of personnel, but could possibly solve some of our problems. I'm beside myself. I don't, I don't know what to say anymore. It just, it really irritates me. To play devil's advocate, and I just was thinking about this Go now. Go ahead. You you're do right. that right now. I'd love to hear I that. I will. Go. The substitution of JPG to come on and sit, or have Alon sit, could that just be simply due to the legs in midfield, right? Alon's played the entire matchup to this point. Maybe you rotate him back and allow the legs of Decore and JPG fresher to then sort of exert the pressure in midfield. That's I, the, that's the I only that, rationale that I can think. I of. I would have thought that, but the shape was still god awful as a result of that, and it didn't stop Alon from running around and chasing people. It didn't make well, him more disciplined. Well, shape's been awful for two months. Well, right, but months. then what? Why are you doing it? You know, fine, run Alon into the ground. You got five subs for heaven's sakes. I, I don't know, Alex. You have a counter. Yeah, no, no, no. I just I want to know I want to know what everyone's take on Andre Gomez' performance was up to that point, right? So two man midfield. Usually we've seen Ducore Alon in the two man setup, right? Um, a couple a couple piece stats for you, right? Gomez an eighty one percent pass accuracy, pretty good for a central midfielder. Okay, it's fine. Three dribbles, five fouls, one. He had four tackles. That's that's kind of different for Andre Gomez. It's not usually his strong suit, but he did lose the ball five times. He was dribbled past three times. Um, is it safe to say that he was the right person in midfield to take off at that point instead of Alon? Yeah. Well, yes. I, I, look, he, it's, although that being said, if you want to control the game, you know, maybe you take exactly Alon right. off. Um, I don't know if it could be fitness thing for sure. Look, he yeah. was reckless, I think, but sometimes he's at his best when he's running forward with the ball. Uh, he, sir, he's better in a three. I cannot believe that he tried to play these two guys in a two. I think that was part of the reason why we didn't control the game. But look, I just think he's a bad fit for Rafa's tactics in general. I think he does well in a possession-based team um, or a higher pressing team. He's a terrible defensive player, but when he gets up in people, he may whiff a lot on tackles, but he does make them every now and then and can create some really dangerous plays from it. Um, He was exciting today. (laughs) I mean, he, he kind of always is that way. He was all right. I mean, he wasn't a complete sieve that I was kind of expecting in a two man midfield. I don't know, James, what your thoughts were. I thought he was up and down for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he got the goal. It's still so painful to me. Alex, you called out the four tackles. That is like shocking to me because it just feels like. Well, he got dribbled past three times though too. I mean, that's probably the highest. Right. I mean, mean, it was, he's reckless. We talk about the eye test and like the thing that sticks clearly in my mind is like the kicking the leg out, extending it and just getting blown by which seems to happen more often than not, but I'll give him his dues today. He was okay. I still don't think he's being set up for success, but I have, I I love Andre. He's just a really handsome, good looking guy. Seems really nice. (laughs) Got the fresh haircut. So look, I'll be positive on Andre. I still don't think he's, you know, the long-term solution, but uh, in the the possession style of play, got the goal. Thankful for that. Uh, Probably the right sub at the time. I think personally, well, we still really didn't control the game much better at this point, though. That's the sad part. I mean, Lewis Potter yeah. hits the post in the 84th. I mean, that could have been just ridiculous. Um, we eventually get to extra time, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking we are literally <laughs> in extra time against Hull. What is going on? Thrilling, right? Thrilling. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, and, was and the sad the part is, I don't think we created a whole lot in extra time. But sure enough, what happens is Andres Townsend walks up and I, I want to say this. I was typing on the discord and I'm watching the game and I look up and I, I had this weird premonition like JPG drops back. I had the coolest like deja vu moment. The second JPG dropped back. I'm not making this up. I swear to God, you're going to think I'm a lunatic, but but mean steps back. Townsend steps up and I'm like this is going right in. And, and I knew it. I've seen it before. It was so creepy and cool. I, I haven't had that in a long time. But anyway, he bangs it. Um, he really strikes it well with his right foot, which is a little bit shocking. Set up beautifully by Bameen. I mean, talk about an assist. I mean, this was 
a <laughs> that's why assists are the dumbest stat ever, guys. So dumb. He gets an assist for this. I mean, are you kidding me? Does the goalie need to I do bet better? You'd be here? quoting Alex Wobie's assist numbers. Uh, so yeah, they're great. At least his ex assist numbers were also good, though. Thankfully, so such a dumb stat. But anyway, uh, he cracks this, no question. It's got a ton of swerve on it. Keeper's got to do better, though, doesn't he? Yeah, you, you watch the keeper at that moment, right? Right when he strikes it, he actually takes a step. He kind of hops to his right a bit and then realizes the ball is clearly going to his left. And that that is essentially what puts him out of range to be able to put a stop on it completely. Um, definitely not a banger by any stretch of the imagination. In my wicked opinion, stretch strike, was, though. I mean, it's a pretty wicked hit. Yeah, no, it was great. It it's was a hit great hard, but on the ball. It's hit hard. There's the placement. Like, it's not in the top corner. It's in a range that you see keepers making that save all the time. Not to, I don't want to. No, I screwed it up. Just like Alex said, the swerve got him. Yeah. The swerve got him. The swerve got him. It's like a curveball that freezes the batter. It's a knuckler. It's really a knuckler because you can't, if you see the spin on it, you can kind of anticipate. But, I mean, he's a professional keeper. I mean, (laughs) it's like all of Townsend's goals from range seem to follow like that same script, which might be why, Ryan, you had that, that psychic premonition. Uh, the vision from above that was sent to you. No, dude, I saw it before. Coming. I'm telling you, I did. It's so creepy. It's so <laughs> creepy. I mean, Bamini never plays, right? When would I have seen that? Um, That's true. That's yeah, a good look, point. soon after Dobbin finally comes on for Gray, I just you kind of got to laugh a little bit at this point. Everyone's calling for Dobbin. We'll get into Alan Brody's comment in a second. In the, in the 110th, though, I mean, Beckvik makes an insane save here. I mean, this could have been I, what I just can't even imagine what happens if Eves makes this. I mean, this is the top shelf save, right? I mean, this is game saver. Well, I mean, on top of, so, so I mean, Eves is like a couple yards out, right? And kind of smashes it at him. Um, so A, the save itself, just the fact that he gets a touch on it is impressive. But I think the more impressive thing is how strong his hand have to be to save it the way that he did from so close out at such a quick reactionary time to me. And I, mean, I think it's a is, double save, right? Does he make a second save or the second one just kind of scoots by the outside of the post uh, a little bit fortunate, but yeah, Alex, you're right for Begovic to come in cold essentially uh, and start that match and then be focused enough in that moment to make the save huge props. But again, we're just cutting it a little too close. It's not comfortable. It's scary. What are you, what are you we're talking? never able to put him away. What are you talking about? We brought in Jenk Tosin on this 117th <laughs> minute to, to isolate and finish things off. That's not too late, is it? Can we talk about this? What is the point of subbing on someone at this point? I don't get that at all. I understand Gray is good, but if you're going to sub, first of all, everyone's clamoring for Dobbin to come in and place Rondon. I have serious issues with people and their treatment of some of our players at times. I mean, if Rondon actually does anything positive, some people literally cannot compliment him because he's he's crap or whatever they're going to say. I, I just hate that. And the guy worked his tail off for 116 minutes. It's not his fault that he kept him out there. So so Alan Brody at Brody in Maryland, contributor to the show. Mad Rondon played 116 minutes. Mad Dobbin didn't see more time. Mad JPG given time and completely misused. Gordon really coming into his own, worried these guys are going to be gassed on Tuesday. Thankfully, Tuesday is out. They probably knew that. That being said, we weren't great in extra time. You don't want to put him on for legs earlier than this. I don't understand the logic. He makes subs so late. This isn't just time-wasting at this point, is it? I, I don't think so. Gray looked gassed. What is the point of putting Jank Tosin on in the 117th minute? Like, what in earth? That's just time-wasting or dumb. Salman Ronda, you're just asking too much of him, are you not? Yeah, I mean, am I wrong to say the perfect sub in the 117th minute is Nathan Patterson for his debut for three minutes? <laughs> am I wrong to say that? I, I, I mean, center like, forward. No one, is going to, no one is going to affect the match in the last couple minutes. So why? Why not? Who knows? I, I don't. You know, the funny part is, Jake almost took one out. You know, and almost, almost kind of had a break there. Um, but I, I just, if yeah, if you're gonna play, I mean, yes, as just an appearance, a time waster, sure. I. But to that point, Ryan, we weren't trying to time waste because if people will remember at the death no, of not the match, at all. What were we, we were going forward and Alon tries to shoot from outside the box and score. Like you could take it oh, to the no. corner, kill off the game. If that's what we're going to do be- again, that's when we decide to actually play aggressive and go for the throat with like 30 seconds left. Go to put the nail in the coffin. Just makes so little I sense. Mean, but yeah, from the second half. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, I'm saying that's why signing guys like Mikalinko, I think, is a legitimately intelligent player. It's kind of refreshing. I feel like we just have a lot of dumb players. I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes you just look at it and you say, 
The thing is, Alon's a leader, too. I mean, he's actually a fairly smart player from what I've seen, but not with us this year. It just we just look too often like we don't know what we're doing. But yeah, James, to your point, second half to the end of the match, that's when we're supposed to take control of the match, isn't it? That's when we're supposed to take care of the ball, not give it up, give it to them. I mean, I, I guess maybe you sit back and do the counter thing and try and outscore them or not, but it's all for God. What are we doing, man? Really? Is that what we need to play? Well, do we need to play like every team? I don't care how you play. Every team has to at least a little bit possess the ball and take the air out of it sometimes. I mean, do you think Diego Simeone doesn't do that at Atletico Madrid? No, they get the lead and he'll sit on it. And that's okay. You don't have to sit back and concede the ball all the time, but the numbers don't look good for the second half to the end of the match, do they? No, I mean, we said at the top of the show, both, I mean, Everton are, I think, 19th in the Premier League in possession and Hull near the bottom of the championship in possession. So it's really kind of a hot potato of who wants the ball less. That said, from the second half to the end of the match, Hull, 56.3% possession, six dispossessions to Everton's 13. We did come out ahead in shots, 12 to 8 overall, but it's reminiscent of just... In theory, almost always the better team tends to possess the ball more. And yet we're looking at a case where Everton and spell, I mean, 66 against QPR that we conceded percent possession. Now 56.3 in the second half to the end of the match against Hull, though we did eventually, I think, win the overall possession battle slightly, very, very slightly. But again, it's never comfortable. We make things difficult for ourselves and Hull made things difficult for us at times. And we just weren't able to kill it off. That said, we did eventually see it out into the hat for the fourth round. We draw against Brentford, um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's talk about some player performances overall. We talked about Andre Gomez. We talked about Anthony Gordon a little bit. I know there has been a lot made or a lot said negatively about Solomon Rondon. And this is the segment where all the Rondon people will say, stats don't matter. I watched him with my eyes, and he was terrible. But then you have other people who watch him and say differently. And the stats also say something a little bit differently. Rondon today, four key passes, won eight aerials, 77% pass accuracy, three dispossessions, two bad touches. But he's being asked to do a lot. We said it at the top. Alex, what are your thoughts on Rondon's performance? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think it is a difference between, you know, it's an eye test versus a stats test. Um, you know, I think I think that Rondon... And this is this is important context. Rondon did play for 117 minutes. So with stats and um, specifically in the volume, right, with with number of key passes, that sort of thing, that can definitely affect it when you're, you know, when you might be comparing a performance with statistics for 90 minutes. Um, I will say, though, for a team that is struggling for possession, for your striker to have a 77 percent pass accuracy, it's important. I will say that it's very important. You look at a guy like Gray, for example. He lost the ball 11 times. I mean, he's, he's supposed to be direct. But the point is, you know, regardless of how your midfield or maybe your outside wingbacks move the ball, someone up front has to be able to possess it. And I know Ryan has mentioned many times before, Rajon's game is, is mostly, you know, hold the ball up and lay it off. Um, with four key passes to top the team, it's kind of hard to argue that he did not do that to some effect twice as much as anyone else. And he's not taking set pieces or anything. And yeah, you're right, Alex. I mean, look, he had two bad touches. He was dispossessed three times. Well, yeah, he's a center forward. He's isolated constantly. He won eight aerials out of like 14. He had like 14 offensive aerials. And those are not easy to win with someone on your back. I, I just felt like he, look, he works really hard. He's a 31-year-old coming on a free from Russia. I mean, seriously, I, I just don't understand what people expect from the guy. I thought he did all right. We scored three goals, for heaven's sakes. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't, I don't, the issue to me today was not necessarily, I mean, the attack was poorly organized. Well, yeah. Welcome to Rafa ball, but we still scored. I mean, how many shots do we have? We had 21 shots, 18 shots from open play. Yes. It's a longer match. I get it, but there were plenty of chances. It I mean, created several shots for other people. I just, even on the first goal, it was kind of clever. If you saw him just absolutely shove the center half way back, he would have been onside anyway, but like that actually could have been a massive play by keeping Gray on if Gordon just waited an extra second accidentally or something. The second play, he had good movement. The guy works so hard. Why do we need to slag him off? I just don't understand what the expectations are. I just think people need to cut the guy a break. He's trying his best. At least he always works hard. I can't believe people yeah. have said he doesn't work hard. Like I, That has literally been his calling card his entire life. I mean, 
just when people say that, you just turn off. You're like, you literally don't know what you're talking about. I get confused about the criticism on Rondon because that, there was a really common theme, and we'll see it in the listener comments here in a second. Like people, people don't think he played well, um, and, and to to me, it's like okay. I mean, I don't think he played fantastically, but I also don't expect my third string striker who arrived on a free from China to play fantastically. He was okay. And furthermore, he was okay. Does it accomplish anything to? you know, just berate our own players. Like, what is that? A, I, say he was poor and you think he was poor. Don't say he can't kick a ball and he's not fit to wear. Worst striker ever, ever. But my other problem with that critique is you're not even acknowledging his role. You know, the wingers are playing behind him half the time. You know, he's not leading the line to get on the end of crosses and finish and score. That's not how he's playing. I'm not saying he can't do it every now and then. I'm not suggesting that at all, but we're not keeping the ball in the final third, man. Like if we are and you serve him up a couple soft crosses and he knocks the ball down for people and they score, yes, that I would love to see him do more. I really would. But that's more of a team issue. You know, we're not getting people forward. That That's not him. He's winning as many battles as I think you could expect him to win. And I, I just don't. He's fine. But it, please at least acknowledge his role and acknowledge some fair expectations for the guy. And guess what? Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the few games he played, he wasn't banging him in from open play either. Two things on that, and then we can move on. First, I just, I'd be remiss if I did not mention the moment when Rondon had the breakaway uh, and he was like bumbling, rumbling, stumbling, and then got completely cleared out and didn't get a call. That was ridiculous. The second thing is just to, you know, add some perspective maybe. And I know it's a different system and totally different manager now, but people might remember back when Dominic Calvert Lewin first came into the team and he wasn't scoring a whole lot, but he had a very thankless task of leading the line and pressuring the front line and doing a lot of these things off the ball um, that ultimately made an impact on the team, but may not show up on the stat sheet or anywhere else. Um, and people said the same things about Dominic Calvert-Lewin at the time that they're saying about Rondon now that he doesn't have the end product. He doesn't, he's not a proper striker, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's totally different, but I think some, I see the similarities in the critique and also like, it's a hard job. It's a very thankless job to be leading the line when you don't have anyone around you and you're incredibly isolated and it makes you look bad to the eye test sometimes. Yeah. I, the other thing I'll, I'll say, the one last thing I'll say is, can we at least acknowledge at one point he was a decent player. I'm not saying yes. he was a world beater or anything, but do we realize he had 18 goal contributions one year in the premier league from open play on a Newcastle team that didn't score 18. You know how many Everton players have had 18 goal contributions in the last 20 years? Give me a hint. One guy. One, and his name was Lukaku. One, no one else. That's from open play. I don't think anyone's had had it, period, let alone from open play. So cut the guy a break. He's actually been a decent player at times. We know he's not that great anymore. We get it. Yeah, I just, he's a third choice striker. That That's what he is. And he's fighting hard. Beating it in the ground, I recognize that. Um, we talked a little about, about Damari Gray's performance. I thought he was good. I mean, he did have 11 turnovers, right? He did. So you got to acknowledge that. He was. He just loves firing the shots off right and left. He probably was a difference maker today. I've seen him play better, but he does have some end product right now. Um, we needed him today. I can't believe he played as many minutes as he did. We mustn't have known that we weren't going to play Tuesday, don't you guys think? I mean, because otherwise you wouldn't have played him quite the amount of minutes, I, I don't think. But, okay, let's take a step back. Summary. Alex, deserved result? That's such a tough question. <clears throat> um, I would say... You've had time to prepare your answer, though. It has been in the document. I know, and... It I know. And I, I would say it was deserved, but like barely, but like, like just made it, um, you know, it, it comes down to, we did have, you know, we, we had more shots. We had, you know, the, the handball shouts that you would say, okay, maybe those could have been called or far regardless. Um, but overall, you know, we did also have on the flip side of things, we had a fantastic save by Begovich towards the end. And then maybe we're having a completely different conversation because we know Everton are not fun to watch on, on penalties either. So um, what about you? What about you, James? I'm so incredibly thankful. It didn't go to penalties. That's all I'll say. And look, we got through, we squeaked through by the skin of our teeth. We made it much more difficult on ourselves than we needed to. We never looked convincing or emphatic, but the wins a win. And look, it's what our second win in basically three months in any competition. So uh, I'm definitely not turning my nose up at it, but it's unfortunate. I was reflecting on this a little bit yesterday that even when we win, it is, I think, harder to enjoy because we're not winning comfortably. We're not winning with any, I think, like style or pizzazz. Um, and it's all against the backdrop of like the current state of the club, which we've 
discussed ad nauseum. So it just feels a little hollow in some ways. And I think that leads nicely into the competi- uh, next discussion point, which is, as I mentioned earlier, we've drawn Brentford in the fourth round of the FA Cup at home at Goodison Park. Now we win this third round tie. We move forward. And I hope that we go on a cup run and I hope we go to Wembley and lift the dang thing. But I don't really feel like that's a likely scenario in any universe. Maybe there's one alternative universe where that happens. So the question is, how seriously do we take the FA Cup given our diabolical form in the Premier League and our need to get results uh, in the league overall? There's context to be had, right? So we, we still have numerous key injuries. Um, do we still have COVID cases? I don't think so. But for the future, it's also fair to say that we probably will have more COVID cases and more injuries. We sit 15th place with 19 total points. I personally don't see any realm, any any timeline in which we should sacrifice, you know, the better judgment for an upcoming Premier League match over an FA Cup match. In other words, if we did not know that Tuesday against Leicester City was happening, I do not feel that we should have you know, handled ourselves the way that we did with the subs and who played, as we mentioned, Gordon went, I mean, excuse me, Gray went the majority of the 120 minutes. Um, but I will say though, and you know, it was an interesting point, James, you know, you said this is our second win since September. It could also be a good platform to build a little bit more confidence as well. So, you know, there, there are positives to moving forward in the competition, even if we don't win. Um, but I don't think that we should hamper our, our, our possibility of getting points in the league for it. What about you, Ryan? Well, this one's tough. We're playing so badly, uh, and we look just so awful. I wouldn't have ever suggested that we were a legitimate fear of being relegated. We have way too much talent for that. But I'm looking at the immediate schedule next. Norwich, Villa. Then we have that FA Cup match, and we have Newcastle, Leeds. I mean, those guys, those teams right there, maybe not Villa. I mean, if we beat Norwich, take three points off Newcastle, we're probably in pretty good shape. I mean, those are the teams in essence that could not Norwich, but most likely they're done could leapfrog us Leeds as well too. I mean, those are matches we really need to win. I mean, if we win those, we're almost assured to stay up. No big deal. As badly as we're playing right now, the last thing I want to do is sacrifice. I mean, if there's any risk at all of going down, which I cannot believe I'm saying that, but I really believe as long as this guy continues to manage this club as badly as he's managing, we could absolutely go down. If we look at the transfer business we're doing right now, um, I think that's going to make us in the short term a worse team. So, you know, we're not getting any better through that. I mean, these guys aren't ready to just jump in and, and do well, I think, at the Premier League level yet, I think. I mean, they should get chances. I get it. So, no, I don't think we should care at all about it. I can't believe I'm saying this. Normally, that's our big ticket to actually win a trophy, but we have no prayer winning the FA Cup. Absolutely no chance. I'd have to go look at the draw. You know, sometimes if a couple of big clubs are lined up to play against each other in the Caribou Cup at the beginning of the year, I thought this is a good chance, right? We'd have a shot. Because a lot of them were lined to play to each other. And then we came out. And I mean, if you remember the beginning of the year, we're talking about, okay, what do we need to do to sneak into Europe this year, right? Those are the expectations <laughs> being the year. Remember those? I remember that. Yeah, remember those? Right? I remember, remember those? it. Right. And we should have. You know, if you look at what we did last year and, you know, yeah, it would have been nice to spend some of the window. No, I don't think we should care at all. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I think we should absolutely play the kids or do whatever we need to at home against Brentford. That's fair. Look, the, the league needs to be the priority right now because the form is, is just dire. Um, it's not that, that let's, it's that bad. Like, you know, that, that's, and a, that's it's, crazy it's that bad. I know it's sad that it's gotten to that point. Um, it really is. But, you know, the romantic in me still hopes that we can somehow scrap together a win. But it feels like the first and Brentford will be kind of the first I mean, haul we thought would not be a, We're a test. In 15th it turns out that it was. place, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And making and making relegation fodder in the championship look far better than we should. So. With that, let's uh, let's let the listeners chime in, give some uh, feedback we got from Twitter. We have first David Boaz. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Bo- Boaz, it sounds like. We either do not have the talent or do not have the organization to play in a back five. Every time we've played it, we concede early and look completely disorganized. Things settled some with the midfield three, but there was still no plan and attack. Hoof or Hope Gray does something is like the motto right now. Spot Truly. On. This is that is this po this tweet is just absolutely spot on on so many levels. I don't even know what to say. How many times did the three in the back actually look like they're in line? I mean, two weeks ago, Kenny kept someone on from right wing back. Uh, it's just 
everything we do looks disorganized. I just can't believe it at this point. It did settle some with the midfield three, but still, still, you had Alon leaving that space constantly. I just don't understand why. Maybe Rafa's spending too much time doing other things. I really wish he would get on the training pitch. That's, by the way, why managers should not be involved in recruitment. They have problems like this that they need to solve. Painstakingly going through film, training, and coaching individuals and sitting there with them. How can you not teach Alon to not stay in there and leave or just move him? I, just, I cannot believe it. And yes, doesn't it feel like we're just hoofing it to Rondon, hoping he knocks it down to someone or just firing out immediately to one of the wingers and saying, run with the ball as fast as you can right at them. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's been the game plan. And, and to be honest, though, but I think another, you know, not to harp on it too much, but another worrying piece is we did move to the three man midfield and still did not get possession. Um, but another listener comment, Garrett post at parrot ghost. I've never seen so many managerial er errors go unpunished by defeat. Rondon's selection is about as baffling as him not coming off until the 117th. Dobbin should have started five at the back against championship. Championship side is pure cowardice from a club our size. Feels like a hollow victory for me, and I think I'd have to agree with that. Um, pretty right on all accounts there by Garrett as well. Yeah, the only thing I disagree with is you can't start Dobbin at the nine in that setup. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't yeah, think, you, unless you you're going to change the style agree, completely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you change this. You could start him at right wing, but then you're benching Gordon or Gray, right? So, well, right. I think it's um, one of those things. If you'd have played Richarlison, kind of starting up front, because Rafa plays a little bit differently his setup when Richie's out there. Maybe he's a little bit more of a one for one selection, but Richarlison's still much stronger on the ball. Notice when he did sub him in, where did he sub him in? Left wing. Yeah, and and, and honestly, I thought he looked okay. We didn't even yeah, talk about it. Yeah, I mean, well, he didn't play very much. Long. It didn't long. He didn't have as much of a chance. And he had one kind of heavy touch in a play where he probably should have been off to the races. But again, he's just a kid. And, and I think in the U23s, since Unsworth has finally been forced to play Rafael Benitez tactics, which he didn't do initially. I mean, can you can you I believe can't blame him? What? Well, that's a good point, actually. But <laughs> I, I don't understand that at all. Like you have to have the director of football come down and tell you to play. Are you you really think Marcel Brands had full control here? Please. Um, yeah, Unsworth so was I, like. No, I don't. Uh, if you watched it, it's pretty terrible. I don't. I mean, I, I can't win the Premier League two if I play his tactics <laughs> um, again. Third time. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's been playing out wide for them in, in the four, two, three, one. You know, he, he's not been playing uh, striker. And even when they play the five, five, three, two or whatever the heck Benitez has us doing half the time, five, four, one. He's not playing in the one anyway. So, yeah, you're right. You'd have to change the system a little bit. Um, I hope we find a pathway for him, though. I, I really do. Um, I, I don't know if we will. Um, I think he can leave at this point. I, I don't know if he will leave, but anyway, you know, it, it is what it is. So do we pick a man of the match for as a, you know, I upbeat and optimistic yes, episode as it's been. We won. Let's pick a man of the match. We won. We'll go, uh, Ryan. Yeah, we won. So we do, we will do a man of the match. Ryan, you can go first. I'll let you pick. Can I pick Ronan just to tick people off? Um, sure. You can do whatever you no, want. No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, Begovic has got to be in, in the running. I mean, he made some really big plays. Uh, Damari Gray did turn the ball over a lot, but, you know, he he did pretty well. He's probably the most dangerous guy out there. One of those two would probably be my initial thought. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little partial to our North American brethren uh, in Begovic, but um, now we'll go with Damari Gray. I mean, I, I think he was he was kind of the difference maker. He gave the ball up a lot, tried to do a little too much, but, I mean, he was the danger guy. Everyone in Hull knew it. He wasn't really in a position to succeed all the time because he had so much attention. But he did enough with the ball, and look, give him a lot of credit for playing as many minutes as he did, as hard as he did, even if he's in somewhat of a free role. Uh, he was, I think, our danger man, and I think he deserves man of the match. Yeah, you know, I've got to go with Gray as well, but I, I'll add a little bit more meat to the bone on that one, and I'll say that um, it's not an easy choice when you feel like there were not really any super stellar standout performances. And so the approach I kind of took from there was, if we were missing any of these players, who would be missed the most? And I'd say for that hashtag verticality, the directness, the pace, the skill, and obviously one of the three goals, it's got to be Damari Gray. You, um, you, know, you make a good point because no one was perfect, right? So in lieu of that, what do you got? But isn't that sad, though, against Hull City? I can't point out to one guy that was, you know, really a close to a flawless man. I mean, everyone you could point to and say, eh. You know, there were some things about their performance that was not outstanding. You know, surely you're not going to pick someone in the back. Uh, I wouldn't say. Yeah. I don't know. James, thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to break the mold here, but I think it's clear that it has to be Damari Gray just for the sheer 
I mean, the threat and the execution. I still think he was a little too selfish. There was the the weird run he made when he went from, I think, the left side and was looking for a shot all the way across the top of the 18. Get your head up. Both him and Gordon. Gordon eventually will develop that. They got to get their heads up more. Seriously. Um, and then, you know, Gray continues to try to recreate the Arsenal worldy uh, every match he plays. But today, I mean, I, what I loved was seeing him. He'll stand and he'll be completely flat footed waiting for the ball to come to his feet. And then he just kind of springs to life and he'll make a move and, and do something. I mean, whether it's effective or not a debate, but he was certainly effective today in a lot of respects, if a little bit erratic at times. So he gets man of the match. And with that, I think that's going to bring our episode to a close. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, on whole city? We can put this to bed and hopefully never think about it again. Yeah, I think there's plenty of material to do a midweek episode here on what's going on right now, the rest of the window. So I'll stay away from that. A uh, little shout out to Jean-Philippe uh, Bamin. It was good to see him finally come in. It didn't look like there were any physical issues there whatsoever to me. I would like to see him used in a different role, but I think it's way too early to give up on that guy. If we send him out on loan, that's fine. But I, I would be very sad, I think, for us to sell him because I think he could eventually be an absolute beast if he's used properly. That player was phenomenal when he was in Germany. He was good in France before that. Uh, I think he's kind of exactly what we could use. Um, it would. It's just a shame that Benitez doesn't see him, uh, I think, in, in his natural role, despite his extensive player audit. So shout out to JPG. I'm happy that he's back. And on that note... That will bring us to the end of this episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Again, if you enjoyed the show, please rate, review on your platform of choice. If you want to follow all our social media, you can find those at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And you should, of course, absolutely join our Discord. We've been having a lot of new faces pop in there, add to the conversation. It's been wonderful uh, and appreciate everyone in there as always. Now we look ahead to our next match, whenever it is, against Norwich. We'll be with you following that one, and maybe even before that with some content midweek. Until then, up the toffees. <laughs>